Yes, people. And we're back. Yep. Echoes from the void in your dome. <laughs> and we've got a fun episode for you. But I have to say, this I was speaking to one of my peoples. And they brought up some things to me that I wasn't really thinking of. So I, I, I should bring out a disclaimer that no one was killed in the making of last week's episode or any of the preceding episodes of this podcast. And I, f- I feel it's been a far better week had a lot more control it's been a lot less stressful boxing was very good this week you know what i mean we had a good class no one has been uh you know what i mean like been up in my face so it's all been good even someone tried to run me over i let it go i let what well, i flipped him off but that was it i didn't chase after him i didn't try and yeah nothing ill so I think it's been a good week so far. You know what I mean? Hey, look at me. I'm growing like a motherfucker, people. But yeah, we got some fun news. We got some reviews, as we do. So, you know what? Let's get into the mix, right? Believe it or not, but... I'm not a huge fan of Christmas. I know. Shock. Horror. But, um, I saw the weirdest shit the other day. You know, I was, I don't really watch TV, like, proper. I'm, I'm usually, I watch something on Netflix or I might jump onto iPlayer. You know, something like that. Because I can't stand adverts. They drive me insane. They, because they're rubbish. They don't do what an advert is meant to do. So, yeah, I avoid them like the plague. But the other day, I was feeling like shit. So I was just, you know, I, I'd, I'd grabbed the lemon and honey and just trying to chill. And the TV was on. And I just couldn't be able to reach for the controlly thingy, you know, the thing that does the thing. And so I just let it play. And this advert came on for a DNA test for Christmas. It was like, bring the ones you love closer with a DNA test. I'm just like, what the fuck is that you know can you imagine that like your parents have been arguing for a while tall and you're just hearing things like i can't believe you did that and you know oh it was only once and, and you're like what the fuck is going on i think someone had an affair at some point you know what I mean? that's all you're hearing and then it's christmas you unwrap your gift under the tree and it's a DNA test. It, you just look at your parents in shock. You're like, what the fuck are you trying to tell me? Am, am I someone else's? Are you not my motherfucking parents? What the fuck is this? You know what I mean? It's like, why else are you going to have a DNA test? Like, you know what I mean? 
what you're gonna give your kids a DNA test? Be like, hey, I just wanna, I just wanna check. I wanna check these are mine because that ain't my hair color, that ain't my jaw. You know what I mean? They kind of look like your friend Billy. I don't. It's just a weird gift. It's a weird fucking gift. Like if your parents gave you one, he'd be like, "Sons of bitches." I knew something was weird. I don't, you know what I mean? Why else are you giving someone, like, why are you giving someone a DNA test? It's just a weird fucking gift. And if it's just, oh, because we want to know what. It's like sometimes you you go onto, um, you know, a dating website and someone will put down, uh, so I'm like, 49% English, 2% German, 1%... I'm just like, shut the fuck up. You shut the fuck up with your 0.5%, you know what I mean, African and your 0.5%... Eight. Look, dickhead, that doesn't mean anything, right? You're... You're, you're, you know, what I mean? you're not gonna one day be like, oh, I know how to use chopsticks. I think it's because I'm not point one percent Asian. You're like, shut the fuck up with that shit. You're, you're one thing. That's it. This DNA bullshit. So that's the thing. You're either giving out a test because you want to be a pretentious prick and try and claim. Like, oh, yeah, oh, that's because, you know, I like pasta because, look, I'm 0.7% Italian, no dickhead. So, you're either giving it for that reason, or you think someone's been fucking around. Like, a DNA test for Christmas is just fucking weird. It's just weird, man. But. Out of all the weird Christmas bullshit, that's maybe not even the weirdest. Because then there was another advert. And I was just like, what the fuck is this, man? So it was an Amazon advert, right? And um, (laughs) it was such a weird fucking advert. And it like at the very end, it ends with a little kid tucked up in bed and then you just hear a disembodied voice go can you feel it can you feel it hey can you feel it i'm just like how many fucking people are gonna see that advert and suddenly get triggered Realising that granddad fiddled, fiddled with them when they were fucking little kids. It was creepy as hell. You know what I mean? A little kid in bed and then just this voice going, can you feel it? Because you know that a lot of people are going to be like, I, I remember when cousin Jake whispered that in my ear. He smelled of alcohol. Oh my god. Oh, 
Oh God! Oh Jesus! It's all coming back. Oh, I just think Amazon has got a lawsuit on their hands because a lot of people are now going to need therapy because they're remembering a whole load of shit they tried to repress a long time ago. It was just a weird thing to have in an advert. Amazon, you morons! But. I mean, that says it all. That's why Christmas is bullshit and why Christmas adverts are the worst. So here in the news right now is the fact that Action on Sugar has started a campaign demanding that the government bans the um, sale of freak shakes. Now, freak shakes. You might think, what the fuck is a freak shake? Well, a freak shake is a mega milkshake, basically. It's high calorie. It's over the top. It's grandiose. It contains, like, anything, really. So you can put ice cream, chocolate bars, slices of cake brownies, milk, like just any sweet ingredient like peanut butter, chocolate sauce, caramel, like anything that you can think of, anything that's sweet, anything that's indulgent, you can use it, you can use bits whole, you can put it in a blender, mix it all together, Pour it in a mug, then just top that sucker with some whipped cream, whipped, 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 ugh, whipped cream, and then put anything else up on top. It's, yeah, they're ridiculous, but that's the kind of point. That's why they're called freak shakes. Now, because of the ingredients and everything, they're not for um, anyone who's on a low-carb calorie diet, you know what I mean? These things can be, like, over 1,000 calories, easily. And that is the point. So, Action for Sugar have um, decided that these are disgraceful... And they are the cause of the obesity crisis in the country. Which, you know, I, I, I think it's a little bit over the top. You know, they, they, they've done a, um, a, a survey and they found that most freak shakes and milkshakes that are currently on sale have more than 300 calories in them. But this is the thing. They're milkshakes, they're freak shakes. No one buys them thinking they're going to be low-calorie items. The everyone... I think anyone with a brain is going to pick one up and go alright, this is my cheat, or I'm going to have a little bit now, I'll save the rest for tomorrow, 
and I'm going to work this off in the gym or I'm going to do extra exercise or whatever. No one's going to drink one every day and not think to themselves, yeah, I'm going to say the same weight. Yeah, they, I'm, I will not put any on, any weight on if I just have one or two of these each day. No, that's never going to happen. It, it, it's the most ridiculous argument. You know, like Public Health England, they're also, you know, not happy with the situation. And, yeah, I just, I it, it's crazy. But at least they're not calling for, they're not calling for the banning of these things. They're just trying to challenge businesses to cut sugar in their products by 20% by 2020. Which is the who's deadline around obesity. Which, you know, that's fair. Just saying, look, everyone cut, try and reduce your products by 20%. That's a fair thing. But to call for the banning of a product is just a bit ridiculous. Like Graham McGregor, the um, chairman of Action for for Sugar, doesn't think that Public Health England's request to businesses goes far enough. He says, these very high-calorie drinks, if consumed on a daily basis, would result in children becoming obese and suffering from tooth decay. That is not acceptable. These high-calorie milkshakes need to be reduced immediately, below 300 calories per serving. But I think it, it says it all, though, in the thing. If they are consumed every day. So... Why are you banning the product? The The big thing should be the education of the public. That's where the, the, where the campaigning should be. Because it doesn't matter what you ban, because then there's going to be something else. There's going to be something else that comes along... You know, if you eat McDonald's every day, if you eat pizza every day, you're going to get overweight. It's a fact. If you don't do any exercise, you will be overweight. So, you can't ban every high-calorie product. What you can do is educate people. You can put the calories on the products. And you can put, you know, be a bit more truthful about when people say sugar-free, when it's not really sugar-free. It's got no added sugar, but it will still have sugar. You know, you just be honest about the product and what's in the product. That's what needs to happen. Just talk to people about, right, this is the amount of exercise that someone of this height, of this weight, of this age should be doing. If they want this, this, and this, break it down to people. You know, say, look, going on the bike will do this, going on the elliptical will do this, running will do this, 
swimming will do this like break down the different exercises and what you in, in what's available and what they could potentially do for you this is the information people need by calling to ban a product it still doesn't change the way people are living you're just banning a product and you're taking away the um, responsibility of others in just living healthier lives because then you can just go oh the reason i'm like this is just because of the freak shakes oh damn those freak shakes damn them to hell you know that that does nothing so action on sugar don't be a bunch of ass clowns educate yeah stop the hate and educate so a lot of local um taxi firms and black cabs are furious about uber you know being in the uk they're saying it's taking business and they're not able to compete and uber should be banned and blah 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 now a comp there's a company that has started to make apps for local cab firms so there's there's a company called autocab and they've been making apps for um yeah different different local taxi firms to help them try and camp- compete uh now th- this company autocab is saying that they've been you know they were around before uber they've been making apps for a long time and the only reason that you know they can't compete is because of the money but look the biggest reason why the the you know the taxes and stuff can't compete because they're rude they don't stop for everyone and the price changes all the time you know the amount of times that I've gone to try and get a taxi. I, I've gone out to the street. I put my hand out. And they just drive past. But. They, then. They, they stop just up the road. For a white person. Now. Taxis do it all the time. I used to have to go for work. Go out in the office. And try and get a taxi for my boss when they needed to go places to meetings short last minute stuff and the taxis would never stop for me so I used to have to go grab one of the secretaries and be like look just put your hand out and then I'll sort everything else out and that would be the only way these things would stop and it's not just me I've spoken to other friends and you know like it doesn't it's like the ethnicity doesn't even matter i've spoken to indian friends asian friends like the taxi service they're a bunch of racist motherfuckers not all of them let me just put that out there not all of them a lot of them are though which is a big problem another big problem is that they change the money they change the cost on you 
they'll you know you'll get in they'll you say how much to blah 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 and they'll say oh, that, oh that'd be oh, 10 pound mate 10 pound no worries just 10 pound and you get there and you'll be like hey um here you go mate oh no 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 it's 20 20 oh because there was traffic you'll be like what the fuck no you can't just you know just up the price just because you feel like it that is the biggest reason they cannot compete so they can bring out an app and whatever but it's still going to be the same fucking shitty service so you know i don't know i'm probably just ranting now but fuck taxi firms that's what i think so I've read an interesting piece by um, Moyo Lothian McLean on the BBC website, and it was around um, like ethnicity and dating, you know, the racial divide, as it were, which is, you know, it's there. Like I think every, I think most people of color have come across it you know um and yeah you know it's it's what she said is you know i think it's interesting i don't fully agree with it all but yeah no it's interesting thing like it starts off with um there are many things we allow in the dating sphere that aren't acceptable in the rest of our day-to-day lives being ghosted, not splitting a bill, listening to someone bore on about Brexit out of sheer politeness, when in any other setting you'd have long ago made your excuses and fled. When it comes to trying to find love though, we're incredibly forgiving to the point where we can even find ourselves glossing over or excusing racial prejudice that would be bulked at anywhere else which which is true you hear that all the time but i think the thing is what it always tells me now you know it's it's never great when you know you you message someone and they say oh i only date white guys you know they say something like that or if you date or if you send a message to a black girl and she goes, I only date dark guys, you're too light for me. You know, it's not great. You know, you think, ugh, well, that makes me feel good about myself, doesn't it? But the thing it does do, it takes an idiot out of the equation for you. You know, because it's it's far better to come across that shit now than have stuff turn up down the road or just turn up on the date and then have the chick, you know, run off. Because that's not going to be good. You know what I mean? Like, man. I um yeah I I I've I've had a few weird situations on date like there was one time I was meeting this one girl and um 
I'm sitting outside this pub for, for a while now. Then uh, like 20, 30 minutes late, she turns up and she just says, oh yeah, I was watching you deciding whether to come over or not. And it's just like, wait, how long were you fucking sitting in the bushes, man? What the fuck? And then the day just went downhill <laughs> from that point. It was not a good time. I don't even know why I even bothered. You know what I mean? Go, I kind of figured, look, I've come all this way. And I, I, we were going to the History Museum. I, the History Museum is one of my favourite museums. So I was a bit like, fuck it. I want to go to the History Museum anyway. So I went. But it wasn't a good time. You know? Like, I, I, there was another girl I went on a date with. And, um, see, we were... We were... We, went back to her um her parents but she's from was from Toronto so we went to Toronto because one of her friends was getting married um and her friends had asked her out for lunch so she's like oh come meet my friends so I went to meet her friends who made so many racist comments and refused to talk directly to me. But the thing was, we had to drive to get to this place in the middle of nowhere. So I couldn't leave. There was nowhere for me to go. And I just had to sit there. I mean, I, I said one thing, they didn't give a fuck. And I said to this chick afterwards, I'm like, what, what the fuck was that? And she's like, oh, yeah, no, they were only joking. They didn't really mean it. They're not racist. I'm like, I had, I beg to differ. <laughs> you know what I mean? I beg to differ. So the thing is, look, you come across racism in dating. Like, when you read profiles, the amount of times, like, I've seen profiles that will say, oh, yeah, I'm open-minded, you know what I mean? I, I believe it's not what people look like, it's what's inside, blah, 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 blah. My idol type, well, they look like George Clooney, blah, blah, blah. So you straight away, you kind of feel, all right, well, you know, they, they've got that type. So they're not looking for anyone else, because they've kind of made it clear that's solely what they're looking for, you know, like, um, and then other people put down on their profiles, um, shit like, oh, I like my farm with a little bit of vanilla, you know what I mean, it's just shit like that, and it's just like, well, what, is, like, what is this, man, this is just all a bit weird, you know, like, on some sites, it, it can specify that only people of a certain ethnic background or, or type can message people. So you come across all these weird things. But, yeah, it's shitty. But as I said, look, I, I it's, it's better to come across that there and only there than get blindsided down the line. You know what I mean? Like, 
I was dating this one chick. We have been dating for a while now, like a year. And I we were at an underground station. We're going up an escalator. A group of guys were coming down the other side and just shouted every racial expletive you could think of. And, you know, after a little while, that gets a bit much, you know what I mean? So I turned and I told these dudes where to go. I told them to wait for me at the bottom and we'll take care of this now. You know what I mean? Obviously, they ran off. Now this chick turns on me and is just like, I can't believe you made a scene. And I'm like, and what were they saying? And she's just like, oh, why don't you just ignore it? Like, what the fuck, man? And then that was the start of many situations around race with this one chick. And so you can learn that people, yeah, not pe- everyone has the same views. You know, but you don't always realise this and, and until the end. Like another chick, like her parents had some gollywogs yes they had gollywogs in a cabinet in their living room now they're old so I was a bit like yeah you know it's not great but I can kind of see them having them but the issue was this chick was just like oh yeah I want I want them you know, when my parents are getting rid of stuff, I want to, I want them, I'm going to have them in the house, I'm like, well, if you're living with me, they're not coming through the motherfucking front door, and she didn't understand, she didn't see why that was a problem, but this, like, you know what I mean, you meet people, you talk, shit doesn't always come to light at the beginning, so, you know, if, if someone just makes a declaration of they only like white people or they only like, hey, that's cool because you you realise, you can go, okay, that person is like this. So I can ignore them or I can mess with them. But now it's my choice because I know what type of person they are. So I wouldn't want like sites like Bumble and Tinder or anything like that to ban like that kind of language or the algorithms that will only let you know people talk to certain people from a certain racial background you know because I don't want to come across more bullshit down the line you know but Hey, it was an interesting article. As I said, look, some of it makes sense. But, yeah, I don't want sites to become all PC and bullshit. Because where you may think it's making things a lot better and nicer, it's not. It's It's just pushing things under the carpet just for them to kick you in the face yeah, I mean, down the line, and that's bullshit, man, you know, but fuck it, 
you have to do what you do. You know what I mean? That that's that's all you can say, man. That's all you can say. On Monday the twelfth of November, Stanley Martin Lieber, better known to the world as Stanley A, he he stepped off to another another of the many multiple universes. But you know what? A lot of people are posting that it's sad and it's you know, it's a, a terrible day and blah blah blah. Fuck. No, it's not sad. Stan lived to 95. 95 people. This motherfucker was born December 28th, 1922. He's born in 1922. That's insane. Like, look, he worked you know, basically for Marvel from 1940 to 2010. Just imagine that career. And in this time, in that time, you know, he collaborated with Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko the most and created characters, Spider-Man, the X-Men, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Fantastic Four, Black Panther, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, She-Hulk, Galactus, the the Inhumans. Like, he created so many characters, man. The Silver Surfer. It's insane the amount of work he put in. Yeah, and you look at it, it it wasn't, you know, they they basically changed the face of comics, you know, bringing in Black Panther, the first big African-American characters into comic books. You know, he also created the Falcon. You know, it's like his use of the X-Men was a... um, a depiction of like um, Malcolm and Martin, you know, with Xavier and Magneto. Like the work Stan has put in is insane. You know, he, he tried to put in place like the Marvel TV and the Marvel film. Like at the time, it all went a bit crazy. The comic book bubble bust. They they had to sell a lot of properties, but you know what I mean. He he was forward thinking in a way, knowing that that was a step forward. And it's nice the fact that he was able to see his vision come to fruition, and and make it as big as it is, you know what I mean, like, how Avengers killed it in the box office, how Black Panther was one of the biggest selling films of all time, you know what I mean, Stan was able to see that shit, which is incredible, he made cameos in virtually every friggin' film, I mean, which is great, he, he made cameos in the TV stuff, 
It's like Stan has lived a motherfucking life, people. He has lived a life. Like, the adventures of Cavalier and Clay was based loosely around Stan and Jack's career. He has touched upon so much. So, look, he died on Monday. But let's not be sad. Let's just remember how his work has kind of touched so many lives. You know what I mean? Like, whether you liked his characters or not, it's just some of the work that he did around the comic book industry as a whole. You know what I mean? Challenging the comics code, which brought in new policies, which, you know what I mean? Because they tried to fuck comics in the ass with no lube. And he fought against that shit, people. Remember that. So, he helped transform just the artist's lives, the writer's lives. You know, he's done so much. And think about it. Like, he was 95. So at 94, people tried to have him on Me Too. That frisky motherfucker was, like, on his deathbed. And still, he had game. Look, he was an old man, so... I don't believe any of those stories, you know what I mean? Because he ain't, he wasn't threatening anyone. Stan was the man, whether you enjoyed comic books or not. And, hey, now he's kicking it with his wife, Joan, on the silver surfboard, flying around the multiverse, having fun. So Excelsior, Stan... Live life large, my man. Live life large. So, um, I finally got round to watching the second season of Glow on Netflix. Uh, and this, if you don't know, is a, a show around the women's professional wrestling of the 80s. So, Glow stands for Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Uh, the first season was, um, I really enjoyed the first season. It's um, just a kind of inception of the group, you know, the show. And, you know, they see them recruiting the ladies and then just getting everything in place so they can put on the big show. Uh, it's written by, um, well, created by Liz Fahive and Carly Mensch, uh, and it's starring Alison Brie, Mark Maron, Betty Gil- Gilpin, uh, and a host of other very talented ladies, including Britain's very own Kate Nash, which was, um, yeah, that was a surprise to see her in that. Um, so everyone returns for uh you know season two but we get the inclusion of um Shakira Barrera who plays Yolanda Rivaras um so yeah it was like essentially is kind of you know can 
season two sustain and carry on the great work of season one that i think that was the whole thing really with this um i have to say to begin with i wasn't quite sure like i still enjoyed the show but i think it was venturing out it was trying to um talk about other subjects um where the first season was kind of solely about the formation of glow you know that, that there were, we looked at different relationships within the girls and Marin's character and Bash's character and all of that but it was more about you know the wrestling with season two it's a lot of different things that we're looking at now um so they look at race they look at um kind of women empowerment they're looking at um i think it's kind of like um depictions and, and things like that a lot of relationship stuff um and then you have like citizenship you know and sexuality yeah sexual and parenting yeah that that was yeah, very much a part of this season as well and so because you are like trying to shine the focus on all these other different subjects and you don't really have a lot of time to do it because i think each episode is about 35 minutes so you don't have all this time it then it doesn't hold up as well it's not as strong you know it's it's a more of a a whimper rather than a yell you know um because when you're dealing with the other stuff when you're dealing with the wrestling and everything like that they had 10 episodes to build it but with these other subjects it's kind of a one episode and done thing so it isn't as strong but i think as the season went on it kind of cemented itself more you know i i think you kind of was like okay i'm you know i'm feeling this more now and I, yeah so i think it definitely i think the time we got towards the end probably episode six onwards i was more kind of yeah no i'm i'm feeling it more again you know but it was fun though you know the writing was good it kind of i think it it helped build some of the characters a bit more i think it it re- you definitely see more of um arfie who's played by sunita manny she she definitely becomes more of a voice in this season and um 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's useful. I think Tammy Dawson, who's um, played by Keir Stevens, her character has has more of a play in, in this one. But then I, I also think we see a bit more of Marin's character, Sam. And, and you know, Alison Breeze, Ruth Wilder. They all kind of get a bit more this time around. The weird thing is, like, Betty Gilpin's character, Debbie Egan, she, she does, she is involved a lot. But they do weird stuff with her character. Now, because they take her so far and then they just leave it. And it's a bit like, all right, if, if you're making the character do these things, which is fine, you kind of should show the other side of it. You know, she does this kind of heinous thing. And there's no ramifications because everyone knows what she did. You know, it's no secret. Everyone saw it, but there's no ramifications from it. And it's a bit like, wait, what? I don't under. No, that's weird. And a lot of the things what that she gets. Is more from manipulation than anything else. Like she becomes a producer on the show. I don't really think that's a spoiler. So you know. She becomes a producer on the show. And. Um, the reason she did that. Was by kind of blackmailing. The management. Because if you anyone really should have been a producer on the show. If it was from talent. If it was from that. You'd have said it would be Ruth. But then throughout, it's just like, I earned this. Yeah, I deserve. And it's like, well, you don't really. But these kind of things aren't addressed. And I think, look, if, if you're going to be honest about these things, you have to address everything you have to address the minutiae of these things you know you're trying to show women in a in a this strong place as empowered individuals great but show everything talk about everything i think that's what you know we we need to see that's what needs to happen for something to really be, you know, to, just to have that true validity, you know. But, as I said, look, the the end of the show, the last few episodes, I, I really did enjoy. Um, I think the end, the end was a little nice touch. So it sets up season three very well so that's gonna be very interesting to see what happens with that and to see what happens with like yo-yo and arfi with ronda and bash um you know how does all everything evolve 
I think that's going to be the interesting, the really um, interesting thing. Yeah, as well as, um, you know, Marin, like, he, he's character, and, you know, what, what's going to happen now with, um, you know, now he, he, his daughter's gone, so it's going to be like, oh, like, where, where is all this going to be going? Is it, is it going to be consistent? How is it going to feel? So yeah, I'm very interested. But as I say, look, I think season two is good. It's not quite as sharp as season one. But it definitely gets stronger as it goes on. So I think if you enjoyed season one, you'll want to watch season two. So yeah, that's Glow and you'll find it on Netflix. So a friend, um, I was talking to a friend the other day, and she um, told me about a new Louis Ferrou documentary on TV. So I thought I'd check it out. It's a, it was about polyanomy, polyanomy, polyamor, polyamory. Yes, polyanimous. Polly, well it's Polly, let's just say Polly, um, which, you know, I, uh, it is the, um, the practice or desire for intimate relationships with more than one partner, with the consent of all partners involved, and it was like all of Louis's stuff, it was a really interesting documentary. I think because I, I, I think, especially you know, when you don't know about the subject, you kind of you look at it like, oh, is it just people that just really just want to fuck around? You know what I mean? It, it, it's essentially swinging, right? But I think when you when you see more of it. You kind of get a different point of view. Um, and it does seem like some people do find that extra kind of thing in it. You know, that, that kind of missing piece that they're looking for. And that they're really happy. But. It does also seem that it could be quite fleeting. Like with all the people that um, he spoke to within the confines of this documentary, when you when you first kind of meet them, they all seem very happy and it all seems like, yes, this is the thing that they really want to do and they're all behind it and it's great and yes. But then once he delved a bit deeper, you kind of got the impression that not everyone was 100% on board or... When I say on board, they're all on board, but I feel if if it could just be 
uh, a single relationship, a, a lot of them would have been more than happy with that. You know, that they, they were in this situation more because it meant they didn't lose a person rather than this is who I am, this is what I want kind of thing. You know, it's it's something that was dictated to more by one than as a completely uh, a group decision. You know, that that was a kind of thing that seemed to come forward. Like there was this, I think the first couple, the, 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 the situation you, we see, it's um, this couple with a daughter and the woman had a partner and her partner had a wife and kid as well uh and so the like like the woman her husband he really it was a bit strange like he he really seemed aloof from it all he seemed very lonely like when like Louis talked to him about everything it was like he he was still hurt from the decision that she you know needed someone else but he would never say he'd always be like no i'm i'm fully behind it i'm yeah i'm on this yeah this is no i'm fine i'm fine but then he'd be like oh so what was this it well you know it's very hurtful when the person that you love tells you they love someone else but he's just like right so you're either on it or you're not like what's the situation and so they've been supposedly poly for uh, i think it's like 10 years and at no point in that time had he formed another relationship. But when, you know, Louis asked him, he's just like, no, 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 I'm, I'm completely poly. Um, and I'm, I'm behind, you know, the thought of finding someone else. Um, and, you know, I'm very open and blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, well, are you though? Because it's been 10 years. And you haven't found anything. So it's a bit, yeah, it was a very odd, very odd situation, you know. Um, And then he threw, oh my God, then he threw up the, he's like, you know, if my wife asked me to join in with her and um, her partner, yeah, I'd be definitely, I'd be down for that. Or, you know, like, Maybe we don't do, I don't do anything, I don't join in, but I'd be happy just to be there and watch. And his wife just turns and looks at him with just this look on her face, like, firstly, um, that's new to me. Secondly, uh uh-uh, never going to happen. You are not joining in. (laughs) And then, I I think, um, when um, Louis Louis kind of gets gets asked her, he's like, Heidi, is this ever going to happen? And she's just like, 
look, is it ever going to happen? And then she has to be like, um, no, no. And you just, like her husband, Jerry, you just see the look on his face and it's just like, oh, no. And it's so weird. But yeah, it but it was just this denial, though, that everything is fine, that they're, they're still really, really happy. But she was happy, for sure. You know, she... Yeah, she enjoys being with Jerry. She enjoys being with her her new person, Joe. But Jerry, her husband, he does not seem happy. Does not seem completely fulfilled with this situation. And that was weird. It was very weird. And then when you spoke to the new guy, Joe... He really seems to want this Heidi chick. But he's married with a kid as well. And so that's all very strange. And he's got had two kids. He had two kids and a wife. Like, And when Louis spoke to his, other, his real wife, she's just like, yeah, we've got problems. We're trying, to, we're trying to work it out. I think Polly's helping, but yeah, we got problems. So it, it's all a bit like, is, is this just, you know, people trying to cement over cracks in situations? Like, what what is happening here? Then, um, you know, we went to this other couple, This, but it was a younger couple. Um, I forget their name. I think it was like... AJ and Matisse, I think, was the was the couple, and the the other woman involved. I think her name was Julie. Um, and the and the crazy thing with that was, AJ she was pregnant, so she's pregnant, and and it was weird because at first they're like Louis, like um, okay, so what is the situation now? Because you've got a kid coming. Are you fully still involved, all the three of you, or have you pulled back a little and are you concentrating on your relationship? And AJ's like, yeah, yeah, no, I think we've pulled back a little bit. You know, we're going to concentrate on, you know, the baby and us and blah, blah, blah. Then the next time we meet her, she's just like, oh, I'm in love with this new guy. Oh, it's so great. Uh, and it's just like, wait, what the fuck is going on here? This is so weird. And then Louis goes to sit with Matisse. And he's all like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. And uh, and it's just, was a, is it all a bit strange? All a bit strange. It seemed, um, <laughs> seemed appropriate, though, that all of this was up in Portland. Because those motherfuckers are all, like, super progressive, aren't they? We all know that. They're just like, yeah, no, uh, so we're very cool. We're having our avocado on coast. Um, and we're just going to try these new things. Yeah, Polly is the way forward. But um, I don't. I don't think anyone that we saw seemed super happy. 
like they seemed happy, but there seemed like there was a lot of facades up, which is strange. You know, it. I think it's probably difficult showing the full face of things on TV because you know, do you really want your all of your life on TV? But because you can't see everything, and you're you're definitely noticing, like the people putting up these partitions and hiding stuff, it does make you wonder about the validity of the whole situation. Now, I'm not saying Polly is bad. I'm not saying it's wrong. Yeah, I but I do think it's clear that it's just not. It's definitely not for everyone. Definitely not for everyone. Um, it could be something that you try for a while. I'm not sure if it's completely sustainable. It's interesting though. It's definitely interesting. Um, and. Yeah, if I'd say if you have the opportunity, I'd say watch the documentary because it is it is a very good documentary. Louis Farouk does good work, so um, yeah, check it out. This week's book is Killing Commandatore. This is the new uh the new one by Hiroki Marakami. Um, I'm a big fan of Mam- Murakami's work. You know, I I really enjoyed you know Norwegian Wood, Captor on the Shore, The Wind Up Bird Chronicles, um, After Dark, A Wild Cheap Chase, all really interesting, weird, but interesting tales. So. When I, you know, I got an email about this book coming out, I was like, okay, cool, I'll check it out. It is extremely long. It's like 28 and a half hours. But, you know, it's audible. So you think, hey, that's fine. Someone else is reading to me. I'll do that. So this is the blurb. In Killing Commandatore, a 30-something portrait painter in Tokyo is abandoned by his wife and finds himself holed up in the mountain home of a famous artist, Tomahiko Amanda. When he discovers a previously unseen painting in the attic, he unintentionally opens a circle of mysterious circumstances. To close it, he must complete a journey that involves a mysterious ringing bell, a two-foot-high physical manifestation of an idea, a dapper businessman who lives across the valley, a precocious 13-year-old girl, a Nazi assassination attempt during World War Two in Vienna, a pit in the woods behind the artist's home, and an underworld haunted by double metaphors, a tour de force of love and loneliness, war and art, as well as a loving homage to the great Gatsby. 
Killing Commander Torre is a stunning work of imagination from one of our greatest writers. So, you know, it sounds incredible, right? It sounds great. And, um, look, I have to say, this is probably the weirdest Murakami book that I've done today. And it's probably weird, not in a great way. I The book starts and I don't know. It, it, it takes a while to kind of warm up to you. Like, there's not a lot that you just... It doesn't really resonate. You know, you can't emphasize with the characters at all. Like, there's nothing happening in it that makes you think, yeah, I'm going to really like this book. Or, you know, I, I, I feel for that character. I understand his predicament. You know what I mean? I know that situation. Like, there's nothing like that. It's all a bit... It's all a little bit flat, if I may say. And it's it seems to drag. This one with a lot of his books that are long, they don't feel overly long. Like I think the Wind Up Bird Chronicles, that's not a short book, but it kind of moved it moved along really well. I think it had good pacing. This one, though, the pacing is, is, it's all over the place, really. And, like, the characters, you just don't really care about these characters. And they're kind of weird, you know, because, like, it starts off with um, the, the main person we're following, this painter. You know, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm just an average painter, you know, I'm, I'm just an average looking guy, and I don't have any real luck with, you know, women, and then it's just like, yeah, and I bang this one, and I bang this one, and I bang this woman, and I bang this woman, oh yeah, and I'm doing this, and blah, 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 and you're just like, what, there's so many contradictions here, you're, it's either one thing or the other, you know, uh, but yeah, it's just kind of, it's all over the place to start off with, and you're just like, look, just settle down, I, I, I need a clear narrative here, so I, I can understand what you're trying to say with this book, but then it just got weird, and I wanted to give it a chance, you know, I felt, look, I need to finish this book now, because I need to know that Morikami hasn't just lost it, because you have a character talking about, you know, he had a, he had a younger sister who, um, who died, who died when she was 13, so he's talking about that, and then he went, he went a little far. Well, fuck it. He didn't go a little far. He just went off the reservation. That's what he did. Because all out of nowhere, he's just like, yeah, you know, every time I think of my 13-year-old sister, I just remember looking across 
at the dinner table one day and thinking, oh, she's starting to get breasts. I bet she's going to have nice big breasts. And I'd look at her breasts and how they were growing and thinking to myself, yeah, she's going to have some nice breasts and her nipples were a good size and yeah, I was just impressed with her breasts. And then when she died, I just thought, oh, her breasts will never get as big as I was thinking they might do. And I'm just like, wait, did I just hear what the fuck I just thought I heard? Is this guy just talking about a 13-year-old's breasts? And not even 13, because he's saying he then looked how they were developing. So we don't know what age he, like, was she 12? Was she 11? Like, what fucking age are we talking here? Like, my man's creepy as fuck, right? So you've got that. And then he's going on about how, um, so, you know, I, so I don't really like women with big breasts because I always think about what my sister's breasts would have been like. It's just like, wait, what? And then it's just like, oh, so I like women with not too small, not too big, just just nice in-between size, just a medium breast. And when I feel them, when I caress them, I just think about my sister's breasts. And it's just like, oh, shit, this needs to stop. And this is the weird thing. It went on a long time about his sister's breasts. Then it finally stopped, and you're like, okay, phew, all right, let's, let's, let's get on with this story now, Let, let's try and develop this weird story, um, and a, a bit down the line, this girl comes into it, this, this 13-year-old girl who, um, lives near him, and there, he's, he's drawing her, and she's, talking and she out of nowhere she's like I'm not sure I like my breasts and instead of just going all right so the weather nice right he's he a grown man is like oh don't worry my sister had breasts like yours and she's like I don't like my nipples don't worry her nipples were like yours as well and but uh, you know what I mean? and her breasts were getting bigger and bigger until she was 13 uh oh and then what happened oh she died Oh, but she had nice breasts. Yeah, she had nice breasts. And then they have another conversation about 13-year-old girl's breasts. I do not need to be listening about 13-year-old girl's breasts. It is weird. So motherfucking weird. And I blame Morikami for that shit. So, yeah completely throws you and like that's the thing so I'm just like I think I need to finish this I need to not listen to the rest of this book but then I'm just like 
But then all I'm going to think that Murakami is a fucking pedo or something. So I need to finish this book to make sure he's not a pedo. I don't know. All I'm thinking right now is he's a weird motherfucker. And I'm not sure I'm going to do another book. Because this didn't enjoy this book. Weirded me out. And it's leaving a bad taste in my mouth. So all I'm going to say about this. Look. If you're a fan of Morikami, yeah, maybe you want to check it out. But if you don't want to hear about 13-year-old's breasts, I just wouldn't bother. You know? I I I just pass and and try and find something nice and wholesome. Because that's what I'm gonna do now. My next book needs to be a nice, wholesome motherfucking story because I'm feeling very weird I'm feeling like I was violated Murakami violated my motherfucking mind son of a bitch and I think we're uh, coming to that time once again we're drawing to a close of another fun-packed episode so let's hit it with some yeah, some TV news, shall we? Alright, well, word is that Brian J. Smith and Jeremy Irvine have scored the two lead roles in the Bourne, um, <clears throat> the Jason Bourne TV series called Treadstone. Um, so... Yeah, it, it's going to be on the USA Network. Um, it's going to be... It's developed by Tim Kring, who um, created Heroes. And it basically explores the origins and the present-day happenings at Treadstone, the CIA Black Ops program. You know, which... Um, you know, we see it as the kind of framework of the Bourne films. So, um, you know, um, supposedly the first season is following sleeper agents from all over the globe after they're awakened. Um, and it should be coming sometime the beginning of next year. So, uh, yeah. That could be interesting. Hopefully it will be better than the last. Um, the last Bourne film right. Some uh, big news. Pedro Pascal. Has been announced as the lead. Of the Mandalorian. Um, and if you don't know. The Mandalorian. Is the new um, Star Wars TV series. That is being executive produced by John Favreau. Yeah, and it's going to be hitting the Disney streaming service next year. Like, um, you'd have seen um, Pedro in Game of Thrones and Narcos. So, you know, he's known on the TV front. He's been in big shows. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this should be pretty... Um, should be pretty big. 
I mean, what we do know about the series so far is that it's set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. So, I, I kind of feel it, it's kind of <clears throat> going to be before um, the first of the new Star Wars films, which I can't remember the name. Because it was so bad, I don't give a fuck. But, yeah, I don't know. You know, it says the action follows the travels of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. So, uh, yeah, we had that, a little Star Wars news. Um, Alright, so the next big bit. Huh, who'd have known? More Star Wars news. So, <clears throat> Rogue, um, Rogue One is um, getting a TV prequel. It's not got a title yet. Um, and it's going to go into production next year. But, um, yeah, it, it's meant to follow the adventures of Rebel Spy... Kasani Andor during the formative years of the rebellion and prior to the events of Rogue One. Hmm. You know, it could be interesting. It's um, dubbed a rousing spy thriller. The series will explore tales filled with espionage and daring missions to restore hope to a galaxy in the grip of a ruthless empire. So, um, you know, we've got um, <clears throat> characters from Rogue One that will be reprising their roles. So, Diego Luna, he's going to be back. Um, and, um, yeah, like, this could be interesting because Rogue One was a, uh, it was a great film. I think everyone enjoyed it. So, uh you know, I, I think we'll we'll stay tuned and um, hope for the best with that one. Now, we finally got the name as well of the new Disney streaming service. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be called Disney Plus. So, uh, yeah, pretty revolutionary with that name, right? <laughs> I bet they paid a consulting agency a shitload of money to come up with that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but so what we know so far, the app will have five micro sites, um, each devoted to one of the Disney brands. So you're going to have a Star Wars site, a Marvel site, a Pixar site a National Geographic site, and a Disney site. So, um, each is going to have a different user interface, so it'll have its own um, identity. So, it's going to be interesting. You know, it's supposedly, um, there's going to be 7,000 episodes of television and 500 movies hitting Disney Plus as it launches. So they're gonna have 
content out the bazoo, people. It's going to be crazy. Uh, but you know what? Hopefully, it's not going to be too expensive. But um, they, their goal for right now is to have four to five original movies and five television shows a year. Uh, and so far, we've got um, three Star Wars programs announced. So the Rogue One, the Mandolin, and they've resurrected Star Wars Clone Wars. So, yeah, that's pretty, um, you know, that's pretty substantial. Um, we've got the, on the Marvel side... We've got a Loki series, a Scarlet Witch series with Division, and a Falcon Winter Soldier series. They've been announced. And with Iron Fist and Luke Cage cancelled at Netflix, I'm kind of imagining that we might see a Heroes for Hire series hitting. And um, Pixar... There's talk of something around the Monsters, Inc. franchise. Um, a documentary series, Ink and Paint, about the untold story of the often overlooked female employees who work for Disney Animation. And then over at Disney, there's the reworking of High Fidelity with a female twist. We've got um, reworking of High School Musical and the Mighty Ducks. So, you know, there, there's already big, big stuff. There's movies on the way. So something called Magic Camp, um, Timmy Failure, Togo. They're doing something with free men and a baby, Don Coyote, Father of the Bride, Flora and Ulysses, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Paper Magician, The Parent Trap, Peter Pan, and um, The Sword in the Stone. So there is a lot of content coming. And, um, yeah, we don't actually have a price yet, but word is it's going to be between 8 and $14. So, I don't know what that will be in pounds for us in the UK, but, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, they might do a little deal, you know what I mean? Biz Disney own a majority share in Hulu, so they might do something where you get one, you get the other for a discounted price. Who knows? But um, yeah, we'll see. But what we do know, it's going to be hitting early next year. And finally, something everyone's been waiting for: the last season of Game of Thrones will be hitting the airwaves in April next year. So. Hey, that's something to look forward to. Um, do you know what I mean? We've already got the pilot set. So I think once this done, 2020, we're going to get even more Thrones material. But 
You know what I mean? We finally get to finish the main series. It's going to be a long time before the books hit. <laughs> but yeah, we get a six episode final series. They're all going to be feature length. And that's starting in April. So that means we can um, yeah, start re-watching Game of Thrones around probably about February. So we can end it in a big bang. All right, people. Well, that has been Echoes from the Void for another week. You know, just go out, have fun, enjoy yourselves. But remember, Echo Chamber's hitting tomorrow. So if you've got time, it's always good. Leave a little comment in iTunes. Leave a little review. You know what I mean? Five stars is always good, but hey, it's up to you. And share it with your friends, people. Put the word out, because we're going to be coming hard for the rest of the year. Okay, enjoy yourselves, people. Peace.